Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Yes, indeed. Good Sunday morning to you, and we are keeping our distance, quite a distance. Good morning, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. How are you today, and I hope well. I am doing well, and I hope you as well. Yes, we are keeping our distance on the show this morning. We're doing a few things a little bit differently today, as uh, listeners may wonder what's going on here. But Denny and I are not in the same location. I think you must be in a secured location somewhere, Denny. Actually, I am at the uh, the transmitter site, and I had not been here for many years, uh, the WCCO transmitter in uh, Coon Rapids. And it's quite a bill. It's been around since, uh, well, Art Deco times, basically. And it's uh, it's kind of a neat, a neat old building. So we oh, are very cool. far apart. Yes, I am, and I am at home, <laughs> as as many uh, as many other people in uh, public broadcasting and other media uh, you might have seen. We're not all doing things from the same location, in an effort to do what we need to do, and that's stay far apart from each other in order to not uh, spread the, the coronavirus. So my thanks to everybody at WCCO. Um, Dennis, downtown, he's still running things. I'm here. You're up at the transmitter. It's clearly a group effort for a strange times today, and we're going to do an elongated show today. I will have a special guest calling in, and we're going to take your calls and texts about any question, but primarily, uh, obviously, the COVID uh, pandemic. Absolutely. And it's, so we are going to be doing, like you suggested, a, an open lines type of show, but definitely uh, talking about COVID-19 as well. And you'll be joined by Dr. John Hick a little bit later, uh, right after the uh, 7 o'clock uh, news break. Uh, I might as well give the phone numbers and the text number, right? I think that's a great idea. All right. The numbers, uh, the numbers are the same for either. If you want to ask the, the doctor your question via text or phone call, 651 989 9226. I would imagine things have been very busy at uh, at the hospital in your week, Dr. Hilden. They have been, Danny. I've uh, not experienced a week like this, or maybe the last, especially, we've been planning for a long time. The last week or two have been something the likes of which we have not seen, um, at least I have not seen in a couple of decades down at uh, Hennepin. And it's, uh, it's um, it, it feels like we're on a footing for a mobilization for a truly uh, uh, all-out event, and indeed, that's what this will be. Uh, I've never been prouder. I've just never been prouder of the people that I work with, and people in the upper Midwest should know that not only at Hennepin, where I work, but all, your, your healthcare workers at hospital systems and clinics throughout these communities are doing more than you might even imagine 
to get ready for this and, and doing so at some personal risk, I might add. At our hospital, we have a plan for just about everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, we, we've talked about, uh, well, the number one thing we talk about without a doubt is what, what the, the three letters people are going to start to get used to, PPE. That stands for Personal Protective Equipment. And we talk about PPE about every 12 minutes because it is so important to keeping our healthcare workers safe. But it's also so important is because for now we don't have enough. And those are two big realities. Um, just a little kind of side note in Singapore and Hong Kong and other places in Asia where the virus hit early, they did things that we need to be doing. They, they tested people and they isolated the people who were positive, but, but probably equally important is that they simply made sure that their healthcare systems had correct personal protective equipment. And by that, I mean masks and gowns and face shields. And for, re- for probably a variety of reasons here in, in Minnesota, we have enough for today, but that supply, we measure the adequate supply we have in just a matter of days um, and wow. until we will run out. Yeah. It's kind of scary. It is scary. You know, our, our, um, I, I work not only here on the radio, but I'm an internal medicine doctor and uh, I'm an administrator at our hospital. So we have set up communication chains. Uh, sort of, a, well, not unlike a big military operation. We have a, what's called the Hospital Incident Command System, and uh, it meets all the time, but primarily twi- twice daily for call-ins. And the thing we're hearing about the most from our six to 7,000 employees is, is uh, their fear of their own personal safety. So um, that is really a big deal right now. We'll talk more with uh, my special guest about um, kind of what emergency preparedness looks like. His name is Dr. John Hick. He is the director of our emergency preparedness um, at Hennepin. So we'll talk to him more about that then. Denny, if that's okay, I would like to give people three. I have three asks of people. <laughs> or, sure. not, I don't know if they're asks, but. We have three websites for people to go to. Um, many people have asked what they can do to help. And I have, of course, we're looking for equipment, but we, we, we literally could use some help from the community. And so one thing is that perhaps although you are staying at home, listeners, your health care workers are not. They're going to work um, each and every day 24-7, and we could use your financial help and so we have set up a campaign called Hennepin Heroes, and we're asking people to be a stay-at-home hero and perhaps consider giving a donation to the organization for which we will probably buy masks, probably what we'll do with it, but we'll use it in whatever way we can help. And if you're interested in doing that, that you would go to the website, hennepinhealthcare.org. That's our usual um, website, hennepinhealthcare.org. And then in the upper portion, there's just a little button that says Donate. And the very first thing you will see is a little page about the Hennepin Heroes to be a stay-at-home hero and help us all out. So I will give that later. That's just hennepinhealthcare.org and click the button Donate at the top. The second one is if you, if you want to simply express a word of thanks to healthcare workers, 
we would love for you to do that. We want to be in touch with our communities, even if we're all at home or if you're at home and we're at work. So if you simply append the, uh, the word thank you to that website and go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash thank you, it will open up a page for you to drop a note, maybe send a picture, a note of thanks to healthcare workers. So that's just an easy thing to do that costs you nothing. Hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash thank you. And then the third site is my blog site. I'm doing a daily doctor's diary. That's an easy one, myhealthymatters.org. I will give those um, websites later in the show, but I wanted to give the early risers among us a, a, a head start on those those um, very, resources very that good. we could use. And we'll do that again. Uh, doctor, we have uh, callers and we have texters, as you can well imagine. Uh, let's uh, t- let's do this. Let's go to uh, Marcia. Marcia's calling from St. Paul, I believe. Marcia, you're on with the doctor. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Stay healthy, everybody. Mm-hmm. I have two quick questions. I'm a health care worker, and I'm wondering, with all the personal protective gear they have overseas, how did the health care workers over there become so very ill and some of them have died? The other is I need to actually sit in a car in order to buy a, one with a safe seat and hairdressed for my health needs. Is it safe to shop for used cars if I wipe down the car? Thanks very much. Take good care. I'll hang up and listen. Well, thank you. Well, Marsha, those are both real. Let me start at. Let me start first, Marsha, with the overseas one. Um, with the, the disclaimer that I'm not a public health uh, international expert, I wasn't there. Um, it, the, the overseas situation probably started out just like it did here. The hospitals did not have enough masks or personal protective equipment. What happened overseas is that it hit so rapid and so fast. And and when they when they were able to get people tested and isolated and when they were able to get enough masks, which was way more rapid than we're doing here, uh, then they were able to protect themselves. I, I, I've heard like in, for instance, Hong Kong and Singapore, which are roughly the size of a state, of a U.S. state. They had many millions of people, but in a small area. But initially, they too did not have enough, but they very rapidly isolated people who had tested positive. And then they put everybody who in their healthcare system had a mask and a gown, at least after the initial wave hit. And in so doing, um, they were able to protect their healthcare workers. We have, I will just be blunt, we have failed as a, as a society in the United States on this score. We've done a lot of things really well, but we have not done well on, on making sure we have um, masks and equipment for our healthcare workers. That we have not done well. Your second question about buying used cars, that's a good question. And all I can do is tell you that it is a good idea to wipe down anything that you are um, touching. Uh, I have a stack of wipes in my office at work, and I can't tell you how often I wipe down the surfaces, the computer, the doorknobs. I would suggest when people get gasoline that you wipe down, have have wipes with you and wipe down the gas handle, wipe down the buttons on the machine. I would encourage you then, I guess if I could extend that to your situation, if you're going into a used car, Yes, I would probably wipe down at least the steering wheel and the knobs that you have to touch. That is not being overly uh, cautious. That's simply being prudent. Very good. 
I know we have to take a quick break here, Doctor. Uh, let's invite our listeners. We have callers. We have texters we'll get back to uh, an early edition of Healthy Matters today uh, here on WCCO. Temperature reading in the Twin Cities, 31 degrees, a chance of rain and snow. We should have highs near 47. But right now, as we take this quick break, 31 degrees on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to an early edition of Healthy Matters. Dr. Hilden will be joined by Dr. John Hick right after the 7 o'clock news break. But we are doing a, an open line show like we do from time to time. Your questions via phone and text, certainly welcome. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. Uh, let's see, we do, I want to grab a call, another caller, and then uh, maybe we can pick up on some text messages, Dr. Hilden. Uh, Diana, I believe, is calling from Hutchinson. Diana, you're on with Dr. Hilden. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, my concern is, they're telling us now not to be tested if we're not showing symptoms, but there's been many cases of people testing positive that didn't show any symptoms. So I'm really concerned about that. Hi, Diana. I think you're not alone, and you're you have a that's a legitimate thing to be some concerned about. Let me give you a little perspective on it. Uh, maybe this will help to us all. Uh, you are correct that there probably are many people without symptoms who are carrying the virus. And um, it is largely thought, however, that many of them are not shedding as much virus and so are not quite as, as infective as are those who are sick. That being the case, I think you're right. There is, there is transmission of the virus in the community from people without symptoms. In fact, in Minnesota, there's 137 tested positive. I think the number of actual people in Minnesota who are carrying the virus is 5, 10, many times more than that, and they just don't know it. The reasons about the testing are this. It's similar to the personal equipment. We in this country simply do not have adequate supplies of testing. We can't test everybody because we would run out very quickly. And so at the hospital, we are we are... Um, actively, almost night and day, working in one of the nation's premier hospital-based labs at HCMC. Our lab director is uh, working to get a test in our facility. It's challenging because of uh, supplies, and even the swabs for your nose are in, are in small supply. And so uh, we don't have the chemical reagents. And these are simply not to be had. There's nowhere to buy them from. So we place our orders and we don't get them um, in adequate numbers. So the testing is just not quite there yet. I think there's optimism there. I think we are going to be able to be testing people within a week or two and, and have it much more broad-based. But uh, in all honesty, what you're hearing out of some national sources that we have tests all over the place for everybody who wants them, that is not factually accurate. Uh, but there's another good news thing about that. It doesn't matter so much. What is important to, for citizens to know now is not whether or not you've been tested, but whether or not you're staying home. The number one, two, three, four, five, and six thing that citizens can do to protect us all is to stay home from everything that you can. Um, whether or not, so even if you were tested and are negative, if you are around another person, you should still be staying home. So the treatment is the same, and that is to stay home. Diana, your concern's a good one, but I think we've got some pretty good plans on what to do despite that. So thank you for that call. Dr. Hill, and a text uh, came in 
uh, at the beginning of the show a few minutes ago, and it says this. Uh, would you please go over the symptoms, especially the sequence of symptoms of COVID-19, and compare these symptoms to the more usual influenza and perhaps even a cold? Texter says, I've been ill for several days, don't know when or if to call and get tested. That's also a great question from the texter. The, the main symptoms are these. They are respiratory in nature. Respiratory. So the number one and two things of that would be a, a cough that is usually dry, and shortness of breath, but more, um, those are the two main things. You might have a sore throat as well, but cough, shortness of breath are the two biggest ones. So those are what we call respiratory symptoms. The second thing is a fever. Almost everybody eventually gets a fever. Uh, And so those are the two biggest things. The third thing is you might get some muscle aches and pains. The deal with the influenza, and let me throw another caveat out there. I have not yet seen a case of this infection. This is a disease that almost, well, no doctor has ever seen before. So I can't tell you with some certainty about how quickly this, that, and the other thing, it'll come on. But it's a relatively um, quick onset uh, of, of, of shortness of breath and a cough and a fever. Uh, flu is very much like that, but it's exceptionally rapid in onset. You'll get a very high fever and muscle aches and pains. Uh, a common cold, you will not usually be short of breath. That's a key distinction. A cold, you will have some sniffles. It'll all be above your neck in a common cold, and you will just have a little bit of sniffles. Um, uh, you would not be short of breath with a cold. And when I say short of breath, I mean you're having trouble catching your breath. If you have shortness of breath that is new for you in the presence of a fever, those that would be a, a fairly common presentation of this thing. Right. There's huge overlap. I'll tell you what, Doctor, we need to take a, a, a quick break here, but uh, again, right after the top of the hour news, you'll be joined by your colleague, Dr. John Hick, and we'll, of course, continue to this discussion and take more calls and text messages on our early edition of Healthy Matters. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO, temperature reading 31 degrees in the Twin Cities. We'll be back. Thank you for joining us uh, this Sunday morning. We started off a little earlier edition of Healthy Matters. We still welcome your phone calls and text messages uh, for Dr. Hilden and his guest. Uh, uh, Before we throw it back to Dr. Hilden, let me give you the phone number and the text number. Same number, 651-989-9226. Dr. Hilden, I know you, uh, you have a special guest coming on the line. Indeed, I do. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're having a good uh, Sunday morning, staying at home where you should be. So uh, thank you for tuning in. I do have a special guest today. Um, uh, We're we're doing a a long show today. We did a half hour before the top of the hour. Now we're going to do our usual seven to eight hour. And to help me out, I am so fortunate to get to have Dr. John Hick join us on the show, also by telephone uh, at, a, at his own location. Um, Dr. Hick is an emergency medicine physician, so he does see patients all the time in our emergency department, but he is also the deputy chief medical director from, for Hennepin Emergency Medical Services, and he is the medical director for emergency preparedness at Hennepin Healthcare. Dr. Hick works not only in our own organization, but is a counselor, a guider, an advisor, and an expert to emergency preparedness organizations, including our government agencies. Uh, John, I hope you're on the line. Are you there, Dr. Hicks? Good morning, Dave. I am. 
Good to have you on. Thank you for being here. Um, we're going to open it up to our callers if we could, but could you please just give us the 30,000-foot view of how you think emergency preparedness is going here in Minnesota? Well, I think Minnesota is very fortunate that we've got uh, excellent public health agencies and, and medical facilities and uh, EMS agencies that all really work together in a way that uh, a lot don't um, nationwide. So I think we do have an advantage there and that I think we're going to be able to try to work together to maximize our, our resources. And that is a huge advantage. We've been you know, planning really actively for this since mid-January. Um, you know, continuing to work hard to try to get our system as ready as we can for this. You know, the problem is this is this is a rapidly moving target, and every day we find out new information about this virus. Some of it, um, some of it helpful, some of it very concerning. You know, what is happening in Italy right now, and uh, a little bit of a trend towards a little bit younger, you know, people uh, being affected. Uh, definite, you know, predilection for males that we're trying to understand. Um, a lot of things that are, are worrying about this, you know, situation that, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and, and I've never been as concerned uh, as I am about this. I think, you know, we have to come together by staying apart right now and, and that is incredibly difficult to do. As Americans, we're, we're really, really used to our independence and, you know, we really want to go out and, you know, do what we want to do. And, uh, you know, I find it extremely hard to, you know, kind of confine myself when I'm not, you know, at work. But it's it's what we need to do right now. But you know, the question is, how low can we can we flatten this curve? Is the big, you know, the big moniker right now is to prevent this by social distances distancing, prevent this from peaking so fast that it just completely overwhelms the healthcare system, and and we're just not able to provide care to people who have life-threatening conditions. We want to try to be able to address, you know, people's needs uh, in a way that gets them, you know, relatively speaking, the resources that they need. I, I am pretty convinced at this point that we're probably not going to, you know, go over our, our resources, um, but I, I want to keep that as low as we can and, and for as short a period of time as we can. But you know, we we all need to be prepared for the fact that the healthcare system runs at almost capacity every day. There is not room in the system for, you know, epidemics of this magnitude to be accommodated without making some pretty significant changes in, in how we practice medicine and how we deliver care. So um, we're working to, to try to make sure that we've got plans in place to deliver care, you know, as fairly and equitably uh, as we can to try to get care to the people that really need it, you know, during this. Um, but it's going to be challenging, David. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, Dr. Hick, tell us this. Um, in Italy, Italy does not have an underdeveloped healthcare system by all reports. They are an advanced nation with uh, high quality healthcare systems. And they, so we're not talking about a, a place that doesn't have modern healthcare. Italy's well developed. And yet, nearly 800 people died there this weekend alone in one day. How can we try, how can we learn from Italy? What we're really learning from Italy is that you have to put the social controls in place early and you have to follow them. Uh, Italy early on um, put some controls in place after they realized that this was uh, exploding. And the problem is when you realize in your emergency department that you're getting overwhelmed, you're not going to stop that tsunami of patients for the next like two weeks because the people that are getting sick, uh, they they 
get exposed. They incubate for an average of about five days. And then they're sick for about a week, and then they get worse. And so, you know, every time you see somebody in the emergency department who's in really bad shape, you're looking at an exposure that happened almost two weeks ago. And so you know that whatever you're seeing in the emergency department right now, because this, on average, is passed on to, you know, two and a half people, um, you know, per person, um, on average, you're going to see things get at least four times worse before they get any better, no matter what you do at that time to put those controls in place. And Italy did not, you know, clamp down the way they needed to on this right away. Uh, there were still restaurants open. There were still, you know, a lot of people getting together in, in close, you know, close contact, and it continued to explode. And their overall diagnosis of cases is starting to stabilize a little bit, but people are in the hospital with this for a long time. And so you're going to see the death toll continue to mount as those patients continue to die. What we're looking for is for those initial cases, those uh, newly diagnosed cases to fall off somewhat. That's going to be the sign that, that their social controls are working. But it is incredibly hard to put this thing back in the bottle. Uh, once this really gets going in a community, uh, it's tough to stop. I, I was looking at a study that I'm, I'm pretty confident in uh, the results of that. In order to keep uh, coronavirus down to the point where we won't really exceed our health system resources, all of us are going to have to cut our social interactions down by 90%. And that is something that, again, as Americans, we're not used to doing, and we're not used to doing it for prolonged periods of time. We don't know how long we're going to need to continue to do this in order to keep that curve flat. But I, I will say that in the countries where this is, you know, is happening and, and has happened, um, it, it is really tough uh, to put a stop to this. You know, the epidemic curves in, in uh, France and uh, England Multiple other countries, uh, when we look at the, the epidemic curve in New York City right now, it is skyrocketing. Uh, and I, I think over the next several weeks, it's going to be incredibly challenging for the health systems um, in those countries. We are very fortunate in Minnesota. We've you know, taken some precautions. We've gotten a little bit of luck. We're going to be weeks behind those cities. We're going to have a chance to, you know, kind of figure out a little bit better what may be working and what may not, and, you know, hopefully have a chance maybe not to be impacted uh, as hard. But it, it still could be a pretty tough sled for the next several months here. Thanks, John. Danny? Yeah, we need to take a break here in, in a, a little less than a minute, but a texter, and maybe you could do this a text rather quickly, it says, all over the Internet are patterns to make masks. What are your thoughts? I understand that. They are not as good as surgical masks, but are they better than nothing? Well, the majority of the spread of this virus is by droplets, which are larger particles that you can, you know, stop with a mask. Um, the smaller particles are, you know, the thing that the N95 masks are designed to stop and the more surgical-grade masks are designed to stop. You know, if you've got a, a high-thread count fabric and, um, you know, that's better than nothing. Uh, there has never been shown, though, any advantage in the general public to wearing masks because most of the time our interactions are not close enough uh, or close enough during somebody's coughing spell that we're really going to be uh, exposed to that and, and need to worry about that, especially outside. Uh, there's really very little reason to believe that a mask is going to help. If you're going to be, if you have to be uh, in a space with you know, multiple people for whatever reason, uh, then it, it certainly may have, it's certainly not a disadvantage, let's put it that way. But in, in open spaces or when you're more than six 
feet away from people, not a problem. Contact, uh, we think, is, is as, as significant a matter of spread uh, of this as droplets. So door handles and um, other ways that you wind up getting your hands contaminated and then touch your face is probably a pretty good way to get this virus, too. Very good. We uh, need to take a quick break. We have uh, more uh, calls and texts to come. If you want to chat with the doctors or send a text, same number, 651-989-9226. 31 degrees in the Twin Cities on Healthy Matters here on Newstalk A3OWCCO. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. Uh, We have uh, callers, doctors, and we have texts many of them of each let's if you uh, want let's talk uh, take some callers that folks have been waiting uh glenn in edina i think has been waiting uh, first to go ahead glenn thank you for waiting yeah thanks for taking my call um i have a question i've got a couple friends that are emergency room staff people are there any provisions right now being given to older emergency room healthcare workers with underlying conditions um one of the ones i know has uh, pretty severe asthma and they're being asked to go into a high-risk area knowing that they're going to likely be exposed to COVID. And if they are, they will likely have really severe outcomes, but yet they're being forced to come into work because you need the staff. But a question also is, why not pull a group of these uh, high-risk ER workers out right now, let them stay home, self-quarantine, stay healthy, because down the road you're going to need another crew of healthy ER employees to come in and and, – you know, work with the ones that are getting worn out. Great. Sure. Those are great questions. Dr. John Hick, you're the guy. What, what do you have to say to that? So, you know, we've certainly, in, in my group, we've certainly been looking at these issues and, and trying to put our, you know, older providers or those with at-risk conditions uh, on some of the shifts where they're not likely to be exposed to, um, you know, as, as, as likely to be exposed to patients with COVID. Uh, we've also talked about putting them into, you know, positions in uh, administration or telemedicine or, you know, other things where they're not, you know, in face-to-face contact with patients. The you know, the un- unfortunate truth is, I mean, this may be an all-hands-on-deck situation, and, and we, you know, do have personal protective equipment, uh, the masks and the gowns and, you know, the hair covers and things that, um, you know, we hope very much are going to keep our, you know, healthcare workforce healthy. But uh, it's definitely something that we are, you know, actively talking about looking at, you know, trying to compare notes with New York and, and other places to see, you know, what we can manage. But, um at the end of the day, you know, and myself included, we we're we're not in this business, um, you know, just for ourselves. I mean, we're we're going to have to, you know, somebody's got to do the work. Somebody's got to be in there taking care of people. Um, you know, we have an obligation to continue to to try to do that as best we can, and so. Uh, I think we'll just have to see whether or not the demands of this allow us uh, those kind of luxuries or not and and go from there. But it's certainly something that we're very concerned about, taking an active look at how we might redefine those providers' roles. 651-989-9226, that's the phone number. It's also the text number. Other callers uh, waiting in line, uh, Marilyn is next up calling from Edina, I believe. Go ahead, Marilyn. Yes, thank you. Uh, back in the early 1990s, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and I was given the uh, medication Plaquenil, which is the brand name for the malaria drug they're talking about now. And so we fast forward a couple of years to the 2000, 2002 to 2015. I worked in a medical office, family practice, had direct contact with patients, 
over the years. And one of the things people always said to me, how come you never get sick? And it is true. In those 12-plus years I was there, I never once got any infection, even though I was directly exposed to things like H1N1 and so on. And uh, just a side note, during that time, I was not getting the flu shots, so it was not the flu shot that was protecting me. And my question is, do you think I had protection from the Plaquenil? And that's my first question. And then secondly, because it is such an old drug, and many of us have been on it for years and years and years, um, why are they delaying this with clinical trials at this time? It's a good question. Anytime we put a medication uh, into someone's body, it, it has the potential to cause uh, adverse effects as well as beneficial effects. Hydroxychloroquine or, or Plaquenil uh, just does not have much of an evidence base behind it. There are very, very small trials that suggest that it may be a benefit, but there we saw this happened in Thailand, where early information about a combination uh, antiretroviral drug and HIV drug looked really, really promising. And when we actually looked at that in a more scientific way, it didn't pan out. And the drug side effects were significant, uh, as are the side effects for Plaquenil. You know, I'm really grateful that you haven't been ill uh, at, at all. I, I've got a good friend who's on Plaquenil who it seems like is, is sick every other week. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of, you know, your immune system is, is just better uh, in a lot of ways than uh, a lot of people's is. So we're looking hard at Plaquenil, but in, unless we actually give some patients the medication and, and, you know, look at them and look at what some of their outcomes are. And right now the only thing we know is that Plaquenil decreases some of the viral load, um, but we don't really know how it affects the, the attack on the lung tissue that winds up, you know, killing people. And I think we, we've got to get some better evidence. And the truth of the matter is right now we can't get Plaquenil. Um, anytime any medication in the system that is used that infrequently comes up as a possible cure, it's immediately out of stock with all the drug manufacturers because people, um, you know, and, and pharmacies immediately start uh, ordering it and getting it in as a just-in-case thing, which means that even if it, it does work for certain groups of patients, it's very, very hard to get. So right now we can't really even order Plaquenil, and we're restricting uh, prescriptions to those people that are already on it because we want to make sure they continue on that therapy that prevents their arthritis and other conditions from getting worse. John, let me just one little comment about Plaquenil. You know, I don't think that we're not looking at Plaquenil, but I, I oh, would we concur, are. I would concur with what you said: is that we we can't be giving uh, medications to people without any evidence that it's doing anything, and it is going to use up all the supply almost immediately for those who need Plaquenil for their other reasons. Correct. Right. We have a list of probably forty different medications that that we think may have some beneficial effects on this disease. But let's be really clear. This is a viral illness, and, and in no other viral illness, including influenza, do we have any medications that are magic bullets for these diseases. Uh, anything that we find is going to be, you know, maybe add on sort of a 5 to 10% benefit, um, and that's going to be about it. There's not going to be a medication that is going to, you know, be a, a magic cure for this. I tell you what, uh, I know we have to break. Let's do this. Let's take a break, bottom of the hour break. And I know, uh, Dr. Hilden, for those folks that joined us earlier, uh, you gave uh, some websites. And maybe you can do that again when we come back from the break. What do you say? I will do that. All right, very good. Uh, Right now, though, in the Twin Cities, our temperature reading 31 degrees. If you have a question, 
We have callers and we have texters. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. If you want to call in your question, same number, 651-989-9226, if you'd like to send a text. Again, 31 degrees here at News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. If you'd like to call in uh, your question for the doctors or send a text, same number, 651-989-9226. Here again is Dr. Hilden. Thanks, Danny. Um, I am joined this hour by Dr. John Hick. Um, He is the uh, Medical Director of Emergency Preparedness in Hennepin Healthcare. And I want listeners all over who are listening to know that your healthcare systems have been planning for emergencies for years. Part of the reason we're so prepared at Hennepin is because of Dr. Hick. So, John, I just want to publicly thank you for that. The world needs to know that we have been planning for emergencies for years and more specifically for COVID since January. And it's largely due to my guest last week, Dr. Caitlin Eccles-Radke, people in our infection prevention group, and people like Dr. John Hick. I'm going to give a couple of websites for people who want to help. We could use your donations. If you want to give a small or large donation to Hennepin Healthcare to help this effort, I would encourage you to go to be part of our Stay at Home Heroes campaign, which we launched yesterday. <laughs> the website is hennepinhealthcare.org. That's all you have to do, hennepinhealthcare.org, and click the Donate button. hennepinhealthcare.org, click the Donate button. If you don't or aren't in a position to donate money to help out, that's okay. You can also drop us a word of thanks or support maybe upload a picture, if you will. Um, This is also a new site. Simply go to hennepinhealthcare.org again, but now append the the slash thank you, hennepinhealthcare.org slash thank you. And you can drop a note to your healthcare workers. Um, You can do that anytime you'd like. The third website is, of course, myhealthymatters.org, in which I am putting a daily diary from our hospital where I do a very brief two-minute read on something we're doing at the hospital. That is myhealthymatters.org. Okay, that was a lot of information. Back to the listeners while we still have Dr. John Hick on the line. All right, very good. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. I think Irene is calling from uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. Irene, the doctors are listening. Thank you. Um, Can you tell me how long it would last on my mail or my paper and so on? And if I have to go out to pick up something at the grocery store, if I wear gloves and then bring them home and wash them, is that kind of a help? It's a great question. So uh, coronavirus does survive on, on flat surfaces like countertops and things like that for uh, up to days. You know, fortunately, the uh, mail handling process does not, you know, encourage viral survival. Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be concerned about picking it up off of your mail. We haven't seen any evidence that it, it survives very long on surfaces like cardboard, paper, uh, those sorts of things, and certainly not when exposed, you know, to sunlight and. Um, you know, some of the conditions that, you know, mail is handled under are not conducive to, to viral survival. So we're not real concerned about mail being uh, a vector. Um, at the grocery store, you, you do need to be a little thoughtful. Uh, it is possible you can pick this up from, you know, contact with uh, grocery cart, 
you know, handles and things like that. So a wipe down of those with an antiseptic wipe or if you want to wear gloves and then use, uh, if you have access to hand cleaning gel, um, you know, that's great. If you've got a bleach wipe or something, uh, you know, that would be helpful too, just to then clean the surfaces of the gloves before um, you go into the, you know, into your home uh, or as you leave the store. I think one of the things we've got to really, you know, be watchful for, and I come back to the comment about masks earlier, is a lot of the, the transmission probably occurs when you have, you know, the virus on your hands and then just inadvertently touch your mouth or face. And it's amazing how many times you do that and you don't even think about it. Um, so, you know, the mask actually in a lot of ways is not filtering as much as it is keeping your fingers away from your mouth and nose and, and uh, potentially eyes. So, so that's, I, I think it, there's definitely some precautions you can take, you know, when, when out shopping. Um, again, a lot of grocery stores are really doing a great job, you know, doing decontamination uh, of their, you know, cart handles and, and things on a routine basis, which is good. So, and I, I wouldn't be concerned about the mail. It sounds like you're doing a great job uh, isolating yourself. So, but it's it's hard, you know, this is, we're not we're not a community of isolation. And so, you know, doing this just, uh, kind of works against all the instincts that we have as people, and especially when we're stressed, we want to be together. We want to be together with the ones we love, um, and so you know this is this is a tough time. But you know we'll we'll get through this. It's just you know we're going to have to live our lives a little differently for a little while in order to protect you know those in in our society that are valuable to us. Um, and so sometimes the the way to really love people is to be apart from them, which is pretty hard to you know hard to swallow. But that's uh, what we have to do right now. Uh, texter says this, doctors, what exactly does the virus attack in the body? It's a great question. So early on, the coronavirus is the second most common cause of the common cold. And so, um, you know, this is a virus that infects the respiratory tract. And so the usual symptoms are a dry cough. Um, and about 80, 80 plus percent of people will get a fever early on. That can be pretty short-lived. So for the first several days of the illness, this just kind of acts like, you know, a usual influenza-type illness. You've got a cough, you get a fever, you can get some body aches. Um, but then for a subset of people, for you know, a small percentage of people, and it is a small percentage, you know, we're, we're really only looking at a, a couple, you know, like 14% you know, of people that get this will get it in any kind of severe way, and um, only about 5% will be critically ill. But when you translate that across you know, our metropolitan and, and outstate area, our state of, you know, 5 million, um, you know, you're talking some really large numbers of people, you know, that need hospitalization and that, you know, will die if we don't, you know, even if we do get after this with aggressive medical therapies, you know, a, a number of times those people are not going to make it. Um, but that in the inflammation in the second week really starts to settle into the lungs. And we start to see these, you know, virus-induced pneumonias, this inflammation of the lung tissue that gets very, very progressive uh, and makes it really hard to get enough oxygen into your body uh, just because of the amount of inflammation and in the little air sacs in the lungs. And so that's what is... You know the problem is that if we don't get those people onto ventilators, um, you know they'll they'll die because they just don't get enough oxygen into their body. So six five one nine eight nine nine two two six is our phone number and text number as uh, as well. Uh, there's oh boy, we have so many text messages. I'll tell you what, we have callers as well that have been waiting. Carrie in Minneapolis, I believe, has been waiting the longest. Carrie, go ahead, please. Yes, hi. Good morning, doctors. Um, my question is on the news. They talk about uh, 
giving blood a lot, but what if somebody had the virus and didn't know they had the virus and was giving blood, and then that blood is put into somebody else? Couldn't they die that way? It's a great question. So right now we we do not, you say we don't have a blood test for coronavirus, so we're we are not able to screen our blood supply, which is why it's really important. Um, you know, if folks can donate now, especially before this virus really you know gets uh, more prevalent or or more frequent in the population, so that blood banks you know, have enough product on the shelves because we still have trauma patients uh, every day. We still have medical patients every day that need blood products. And so it's, it's really important to keep that supply going. But because of social distancing and, and other things, we've seen a huge drop off in, in donations, which is really concerning to us. So, you know, if you can schedule a time to go in and, and donate now, especially, uh, that's great for those, you know, that are receiving blood products in a, in a couple months here. Um, is there, you know, by that time, will we have a screening test? I hope so. Uh, if we don't, you know, again, the relative risk of, of coronavirus for any individual is, is fairly small. So if you have a real need for blood, uh, well, that's not going to stop us from giving it to you, but, you know, there is a, a very small but real risk there. It's certainly nothing like, you know, back in the day where we were worried about blood products that would be contaminated by, like, hepatitis or HIV, and we're really racing to make sure that we didn't introduce that into people's bodies. You know, for for most people, this is going to be much more of a nuisance, but for others, it's going to be a much bigger, you know, threat. It's just that we don't have a lot of ways of knowing you know, who rolls the dice and it, it comes up bad. For sure, the older you are, the, the bigger problem this is. Uh, older males over the age of, you know, 60 um, have an increased rate of death compared to females. We're still trying to understand what some contributing factors to that might be. High blood pressure, medications they're on, smoking, other things. Um, and then those with underlying, you know, conditions like asthma, cardiac disease, uh, and other problems, diabetes, um, those are all risk factors for an increased chance of complications. And, and yet still, that's a relatively smaller number. I, I don't want anybody to think, you know, that if you're 70 that, that this is uh, in any way a death sentence. It, it's still, you know, at age 70, if you're otherwise healthy, you know, you've still got a better than nine, nine times out of chance, 10 chance that you're going to survive this. But um, it's just that when you look at the number of people vulnerable to this in the population, it's, it's a lot. And the average influenza year, you know, about 10% of people will get influenza. We don't really know how many people are susceptible or will get coronavirus, but it's, it's probably north of 30%, and it might even be, you know, up in the 60% plus range, which when you take that across the number of people living in, in our communities, uh, that's going to be a lot of people that get very sick. Odds are it's not going to be you, um, but it's going to be somebody you know. There's a texter uh, that uh, says this, doctors, uh, that I am a 60-year-old male, good health, except that I have Parkinson's disease. How does the virus affect someone with Parkinson's, and are they at a bigger risk of getting it? I don't think we have any any data that helps me answer that question any better than I, I once suspect that the risk would be uh, significantly above the baseline population. And for an average male in their 60s, you're you know talking probably in the couple percent chance that um, things are you know that that you would get a severe enough disease that you could die from that. Um, so it in below below age 40, you know we're really talking about a, a 0.2 percent or a half a percent you know, risk, which is down in the level of most, you know, aggressive influenza seasons. It's just as you get into older age or you have underlying medical conditions that this virus really sets itself apart. 
651-989-9226. Same number applies to both uh, the text line or the phone number. Uh, let's go to Nancy and then Minnetonka before we take a break. I think Nancy's waiting there. Nancy, are you still with us? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you very much for this program. Um, I have a question. I was going to get a mattress delivered, and that's totally optional. Um, it's something I can put off until after this is over. But it comes with a bed bug protector that they zip around the mattress, and I wondered if I should postpone the delivery. It's a good question. You know, we definitely want to decrease uh, social interactions as much as possible. I think what you could do, though, is as long as you kept your distance from, you know, the delivery people and, um, you know, and, and just made sure that you, uh, you know, were more than six feet from them and greet them, greet them pleasantly but not with a hug or anything, I think that would be fine. We certainly want you to get a good night's rest over the next several months here. Um, so if, if that helps, I, I wouldn't have a specific concern about that. I would just try to keep your distance. And that's the whole thing is that six feet or more of distance here uh, is, is quite protective. It's the close contact uh, and the physical contact we've got to be a little careful with. I need to walk back my comment about influenza just a little bit. Uh, 0.2 to 0.5% uh, death rate is, is in our kind of worst influenza years where we see H3N2 and you know, some of those trains circulating. So that's not an average influenza year when our death rate is you know, down in the 0.05% you know, percent range. So, um, you know, bad influenza year, you know, you can kind of think of for your usual portions of the population, um, but for the, you know, older and, and those with underlying diseases, uh, more consequential, you know, once you get up to about age 80, uh, looking at mortality rates that are up in the, you know, 15 to 20 percent range. Okay, we need to take a quick break. We have more show to come. If you have a question for the doctor, 651-989-9226. That applies to both the phone call and the text question. Right now in the Twin Cities, mostly cloudy, 31 is our current temperature reading on CCO. High today, near 47. We'll be back. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. Uh, 651-989-9226. Doctors uh, Hilden and Hick are with us this morning, answering your questions by phone and by text. And I know our time is always uh, running by so quickly. I'll tell you what, I think Bob in St. Paul is still uh, hanging on the line. Bob, are you still there? I'm here. What can we do for you this morning? I've had cancer twice. I'm a early 70s male. I'm wondering, am I at a greater risk uh, because of any impairment to my immune system? Great question. Uh, Generally speaking, cancer, and especially if you're not on any active treatment that would you know, impair your immune response if it was more of a past issue, that shouldn't change your risk profile, you know, very much. If you've had, you know, damage to your lungs, you know, through that, that could potentially be a little bit of a problem. But um, most people who have had cancer and recovered from it are not going to be at at significant increased risk, you know, from this. It's just going to be more of an age-related thing. And then, you know, both of us are males. And so, you know, that puts us in a little bit of an increased risk category. We're not sure uh, exactly why. But it's a, I don't, I don't, I don't think as long as there wasn't uh, any active treatment that would suppress your immune system and um, you didn't have any specific lung or other damage, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too concerned. 
I do want to just make a, a couple of comments here. People often ask us, what can I do to, to better protect my body, you know, against this? And, um, you know, I definitely recommend remaining active. Uh, you know, get out, uh, get a little vitamin D from the sun that's rising a little higher on the horizon all the time. Spring is coming. Um, you know, keep active, get some vitamin D. If you want to take, you know, a multivitamin or take uh, supplemental vitamin C, there is some, you know, I, I, wouldn't take a, I wouldn't take tons extra, but, you know, a couple hundred percent of the the recommended daily allowance of vitamin C. There is some evidence that that will, you know, help your immune system rev up a little bit. Uh, that could be, you know, a little bit protective here. You know, this is all incremental. The main thing is we don't want you to get this. Um, and that's the next question, you know, comes up about testing. You know, hey, I got sick. You know, should I get tested? Um, if you're a known contact of someone with coronavirus, if you live in a, a group facility, um, if you, you know, have specific, you know, uh, underlying reasons that, that you're pretty sure you were exposed, um, you know, that's, those are definite reasons to get tested. Right now, our testing is relatively limited, but we are expanding that pretty rapidly, which is, is great, because at the end of the day, we really, really want to try to find these cases so that we can let you know, yes, you have this, and we can identify people you were in contact with and warn them. And ideally, as time goes on, if we have the amount of testing, we know that some of this spreads before people feel ill. And that's unlike a lot of illnesses. Uh, influenza can spread for a brief period of time before you get symptoms. This seems to be able to spread for days before you you know, feel sick, and that's problematic. So South Korea and other countries are doing a great job once they identify a case of identifying the person's contacts and then testing them and identifying early cases to prevent you know, this spread from happening. And they've, they've been effective with that to the point where you know, schools are in session, uh, they're, you know, most businesses are open. Uh, we're going to have to get to that point, but we're a little ways away because our testing capacity has not you know, caught up. And so we're, we're working, you know, the nation is working hard together to try to get that testing capacity up. And as the next few weeks go on, you know, watch closely because the indications for testing are, are going to start getting broader. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, start identifying cases more aggressively than we are right now. Okay, listeners, um, when, I want you to know, this is David again, that when I have questions about this pandemic, when I have questions about any, any emergency preparedness, I call John. And so I want to thank you, Dr. John Hick, our, our Medical Director of Emergency Preparedness. He's been doing this for decades. We are fortunate to have one of the nation's experts in our own hospital system at Hennepin, and he has graciously uh, taken some time out of his schedule to help all of us out this morning. So, John, thanks so much. David, happy to do so. This is a, this is a team effort. I'm I'm just a small part of this. You know, I'm a professional warrior. Uh, you know, but it's it it is definitely a challenge. This is going to be something that is a community. You know, we're all going to have to, you know, uh, make some sacrifices and and try to do the right thing. And um, you know, we'll we'll get through this. Uh, but it's going to be this is going to be a bit of a tough spring. But I am really glad that spring is coming. Um, at least we can all, you know, start getting outside more uh, individually. You know, get some walks in, get some bike rides in, um, and just take care of ourselves and, and make sure that if you can't visit your loved one in person, you know, do FaceTime, make some phone calls, you know, let them know how uh, important they are to you and, and try to connect, you know, in ways that um, might seem a little foreign, but uh, at least maintain those connections. So, and we'll just, we'll do the best job we can with this. It's all we can do. So thanks for having me on, David. Great to have you, John. That's Dr. John Hick. And to Healthy Matters listeners, we're going to just about every week 
um, uh, in the future, and we're going to get experts to give you reliable information because so much of what we hear makes us worried. We go on the Internet and we get worried, and, uh, and we don't know what to believe. Well, I'll, I will promise to always try to get reliable information, and I will guarantee that the information you get from Dr. Hick is indeed reliable. If you want to help in other ways, listeners, we have set up some ways for you to do that, both big and small. If you are able to or inclined to give a donation to help healthcare workers in the need, sometimes we just have needs for food and support and and emotional support, and, and we also have needs for masks and gowns and the like. Here's a way to do it. Go to hennepinhealthcare.org and then click the Donate button in the upper screen, hennepinhealthcare.org. Give what you can in our Stay at Home Heroes campaign. Secondly, maybe you just want to drop us a note or a picture or a card electronically. Go to hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash thank you. That's all you got to write, hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash thank you and drop us a note. And then lastly, I'm, Lee, I'm doing a blog, kind of a doctor's diary, with my very brief comments about what it's like in this process. That's at myhealthymatters.org. Three ways you can help if you're so inclined. Um, all the information is at hennepinhealthcare.org. Excellent. And uh, we'll be back again next week. We're gonna, a reminder, we're going to get an earlier start right after the 6.30 break. We'll get an early start for more Healthy Matters. Dr. Hill and we will talk to you then. We'll do another open line show and, of course, another COVID-19 update as well. You have a safe, good week, Dr. Hill. As you as well, Danny. Everybody get some exercise. Stay six feet away from each other. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much, Dr. David Hilden. Stay tuned next for a news break. Your money coming along in just moments here on the News Talk 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 